Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we ask for the word to come alive to us. Jesus, you are our rabbi, our teacher. And we would listen to you and be built by you and follow you uh, as though we were Peter and Andrew, James and John. We're, We're just following you right through this gospel. We're listening to what you say. We're sitting today in the synagogue in Capernaum, listening to your words. We want you to, we want to understand. We want to follow. We want to obey. We want to live out in our generation just because 2,000 years have passed. Nothing's changed. We're following you as much as they were. And we're yours as much as they were. And you're ours as much as you were theirs. So we bless you, Jesus. Open our ears and eyes, soften our hearts, and we come to you now. I pray for the grace to let you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're John chapter 6. Let me just remind you where we are. Uh, the day before this, I think, the, uh, Jesus was on the other side of, of, the, of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. He was over, over at the northeast uh, corner there. And he multiplied five barley loaves and two fish, if you recall. I think they were pickle, pickled tilapia. <laughs> that makes quite a sandwich, doesn't it? Uh, and he fed uh, probably ten to 15,000 people. There were 5,000 men. And then you have, and it mentions there, that didn't include the women and and children. So just add it all up in that kind of environment. And you had a massive crowd being fed and everyone watched him break those, the bread. They all sat down and watched. So the miracle was just evident to everyone. It caused quite a, a, a stir. If you recall, they decided that he was, he was the Messiah and they were going to make him King. They weren't even going to let him out of there. There was a little bit of a mob like action. He puts his disciples in a boat, sends them across the lake into quite a storm. If you recall, Uh, And then he, that night, walks across the lake. (laughs) That's his way out. Uh, Who knew? Uh, And uh, then he gets in the boat. This is after Peter tried to walk on the water. He gets in the boat, and it said the boat was suddenly at the land. And where did it end up? It landed up a little south of Capernaum, not where they were headed. It ended up at at Gennesaret, which is is an agricultural valley just just south of of Capernaum, maybe half a mile, I think. I'm just trying to remember, but not far. And uh, they then... Here, right where I'm, I'm, you have this, well, let me finish. I got off my track. When they come to land, what happened? Uh, People in the area recognized him and brought all their sick to him. And two of the gospels say this, that in that place, every single person that touched the hem of his garment, and this was what they were doing. I think he had a prayer shawl. They touched the hem of his, his, his mantle was healed. Picture that. We'll have a faith healer come to the Tacoma Dome and you'll have 25,000 people. What if you had someone who every single person they prayed for was completely healed? Can you imagine the stir? Would you go get your sick? You'd get them on airplanes. You'd do whatever it took. 
you get them here right now. And that's what, that's the environment. So you got to picture this. That's the stir that's going. He's got this crowd uh, going and, and uh, then he, he moves up into the synagogue, which is uh, there in Capernaum. It's still there. The one we go into when we go is, was built about 100 years later. But it's exactly, I mean, you can literally see the foundation stones. It's exactly on the old one. So it's a great big synagogue right there in Capernaum. It has a big school area right next to it. Uh, the synagogue school connected. I mean, you go right just door to door, connected like that. And by the way, I just read this interesting part of this dialogue of Jesus. Over the, over the mantle or the lintel of the, of the door, the front door, was a symbol. And it was the pot of manna, uh, which was in the... Uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant. And what is we talking about? He's the bread of heaven. So over the very synagogue where he's saying this is this image as you walk in the door of the manna that God gave to Israel. All right, so that's where we pick up. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Would you say I lose nothing? This is really important. We'll see. I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. I'm going to read down a little bit just because it's part of the sermon. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. Now, when it says Jews, let me, let me stop there. It doesn't mean Jewish people. Uh, everybody in the picture is Jewish. Uh, it's like saying the Americans. Uh, when you use that phrase, you're talking about the religious leaders, particularly the ultra-Orthodox sorts, the, the Pharisees. And in this case, you've got a group of religious leaders that have come north from Jerusalem to criticize him, actually to gather information so they can have a religious trial. So they're mixed into this congregation. It would have been standing room only, I would think. And it's big enough to house hundreds. Uh, so you've got this massive group, and you've got these religious leaders that are there. And that's what he's talking about when he says the Jews. They, they were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Please notice something. His disciples never understood what he said. The crowd doesn't understand, but the religious leaders heard him loud and clear. Do you see that? When he starts saying, I'm the man that came from heaven, they go, Oh, ho, ho, no, you're not. We know your parents. You didn't come from heaven. They know perfectly well what he said. He just said, I originated in heaven and I came to earth. Do you see that? They heard him loud and clear. They hear a number of things. I'll point that out later. Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
it is written in the prophets. And he goes to, to Isaiah uh, 54, 13 here. Uh, and he says, and they shall, and, and also uh, Jeremiah 31, they shall all be taught of God. In the, when the Messiah comes, the Bible says the new covenant will be given. And you will not say to one another, know the Lord, for you shall all know me, says the Lord, from the least to the greatest. No one will teach the other. You need to know it. So he says, hey, uh, God, God is teaching all. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's not enough to introduce someone to Jesus. We also have a responsibility to care for that person until he or she is strong enough to walk with him on their own. So many obstacles and dangers confront every new believer that without proper care, their faith can be badly damaged or even extinguished. They immediately face pressures from their own flesh, temptations from the enemy, persecution from those who oppose their faith, and even deception from false teachers who quickly recognize a vulnerable mind. In other words, that person is suddenly subjected to a very cruel environment, which could overwhelm any one of us unless we have someone to watch out for us. How many of you had someone in your life who nurtured you early on in your faith? They were your... How many of you did not? Yes, a number of us did not. Now, I think back on my own life, and, and, I, and, and we did have somebody... Uh, I came to the Lord in a little house meeting. There's no official church or anybody like that. We had some people who were there, but they didn't know a great deal more than we did. But we had a, a Methodist evangelist who lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but he was, he was all over the country speaking and ministering. His name was Tommy Tyson. And I don't remember how we came connected to him, how we met him. But when we had issues or problems, we would call Tommy. And Tommy would always direct us back to Jesus. And, you know, you'd have some flaky thing, and there's always flaky things, by the way. I mean, if there isn't, we'll invent one here. Maybe, who knows, I'm doing it today, you know. But, uh, but there, and, and we would come back, and we would, we would come back to Tommy and ask, you know, what do you do? And, and we'd put, he'd put us back to Jesus. How grateful I am for that man's influence in, in our life early on. There'd be these things, and he would just bring us back to Jesus. Just bring us back to, to loving Jesus. Uh, very anointed man. I mean, power of God on him. He's the one that went at, uh, early on <laughs> yeah, at a Thanksgiving uh, dinner. He was invited. Our, he was at our house, and all I'm just happened to be sitting next to him. And he reached his hand over out of the blue, no reason. I'm just sitting beside him. He reaches over. I was this way actually. He reaches over, grabs me by the throat. And I'm probably 12 or 13 or 14 years. He grabs me by the throat and says, I give this voice to Jesus. You know, and, the, and I just went, I went right down and I, I slid. I, I can remember watching my, my, my turkey dinner go up. I, did. I can still vividly see the turkey going up. And the power just hit me. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. So that I had someone, and, and if you look at your life, you've very likely had someone who you could talk to, someone who helped guide you back. This, when I say this is a dangerous environment, it, it's always been dangerous, but it's, it's dangerous now. I've had people who've come to the Lord here and then gone online because they're spiritually hungry, not because of anything else, just spiritually hungry. They go online and connect to some screwball on, on, the, on the internet. And, and I, I've lost some people. I've had some people go just absolutely haywire with some idiot uh, kind of doctrine uh, 
because, and I couldn't get them back. They got so convinced of the internet. The religious world is a swamp. It is a very dangerous place. I would say it's the most dangerous place. Uh, you, you would think that those who kind of love God, it would all be kind of a nice thing. It is not. It is full of all sorts of human thinking. It's full of wolves who are there to get your money. It's full of all sorts of things. You have to be very careful. Uh, there is a, and, and some of you have already probably been burned by that. I just feel like I should say this. If you've been burned by that kind of religion, don't get sour against Jesus and against his truth. Just like Tommy would say to me, come back to Jesus. Just keep coming back to the word of God. You say, well, what's, what's, the, right, what's the right thing to believe? Come right back to the Bible. You realize no one knows anything beyond the Bible? Everything is speculation beyond what we have in the word. Everything. No one knows anything that's not there. That is our foundational truth. So you just come right back and just look at it and see what it says. And you'll find if you come with an honest heart, you don't, you don't go flake, flaking off. You come down to basic solid things. You become very well, very well grounded. A new believer needs someone to pray for them. Someone to model how this walk with Jesus really works. And maybe even someone to ta uh, take them in if they have been uh, abandoned by others. Uh, I mean that literally. You will have people when they come to the Lord, their families will throw them out. Uh, that, around the world, this is very real. I mean, you can get killed for coming to Christ. Uh, you, you know, when we send these mission teams to some of these places and we say, hallelujah, so many people received Christ, you have no idea, we, we have no idea, what did they go home to? Were they then beaten by canes in the, in the, in the public square uh, for what they just did? Did their, did their husband just throw them out on the street uh, because he, they came home and said, I, I, I've, I've given my heart to Jesus? What, what happened to them? I mean, when we celebrate the fact that a, a Buddhist nun took, you know, took all of this stuff off and threw it down and said, I, I renounce it and I follow Christ, what will happen to her? What will happen to her? This business of taking care of those we bring to Christ, watching out for them, praying for them, providing for them if necessary. It, it's all very real. Um, Mary and I, uh, in, in college, uh, one, of, one of the young men who was, I was actually, a, I was what you call a, like a dorm parent sort of thing, you know, those deals. And we led the guy in the next room to Christ. Well, his parents, who ostensibly were Christians, uh, actually were furious about this Jesus thing. He had become a nut, and, 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 and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit just sent him over the top. They actually threw him out and, and, uh, and, and went on to disown him financially. I mean, that's, I believe that, that was the status quo that we played, played on. What happened? A year after we're married, Mary and I have him sleeping on the foam rubber couch in our living room in a little apartment in, in, in Southern California. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to Fuller, and he's, he's, he's out there sleeping on our, on our couch. And I don't remember how long we had him. It was, it was many months, maybe a year. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun. We, we got him a really ugly old car. Uh, it was an old Dodge Dart, I think, kind of a beige with, with no shine. He called it Gladys. Um, he hated that car. I thought he could have been more grateful. Um, he, he, was quite, he was quite heavy at the time, and so Mary, Mary was determined that that was going to go away, and so she put him on what he called the Dachau diet, and uh, 
the point was he actually got down and began to be quite good looking and we got him married. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he was, what, what are we doing? If you're going to lead them to the Lord, you, there's a responsibility. He really was abandoned and so we got him in our living room. What's happened to him since? Well, he went on to be the president of a mission agency, then a, then a pastor for many years and he's just retired and his family's with, uh, in, in, in Texas. Uh, that's what, they're ours, aren't they? They're ours. So what I'm, what I'm saying here isn't just talk. And I'm saying it for all of us. I, I didn't do this. You say, well, you're a pastor. You've got to do stuff like that. Well, I wasn't <laughs> and had no intention of being me, I point out. Uh, this, in my mind, is what you just did. If you led someone to the Lord, they were yours. I mean, how, I, we were doing this back in high school. You know, if some, somebody brought them to the Lord, you, 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 you picked them up, took them to church, smelled their breath, see what they were on. Uh, you, 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 they were sleeping in your, in, your, in your living room if they needed to. I mean, that was Christianity. You're bringing people to Christ. It still is. If left alone... If there is no one to coach, no one to pray, no one to patiently help as they struggle to grow, what began as a beautiful birth can be lost. Their new faith, which started out pure, can end up so distorted, it's not a saving faith anymore. Unchecked flesh can produce so much bondage and shame that all confidence is gone. Unanswered questions can allow doubt to grow until God is viewed with suspicion, not trust. So let's say it again. It is not enough to only introduce someone to Jesus. We also have a responsibility to care for that person until he or she is strong enough to walk with him on their own. And if we accept that responsibility and begin to care for the faith of others, we'll discover we've entered into a process that is very dear to the heart of God. We will sense that he is deeply pleased and that we are not really the ones caring for that person. We are only helping the great shepherd care for his sheep. At some point in the middle of this dialogue about bread from heaven, Jesus changed physical locations. He moved from speaking to a crowd in the, in the valley of Gennesaret into a large synagogue in Capernaum. Given all the miracles he had been doing, and in addition to feeding the multitude with loaves and fish, the 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 building must have been packed to capacity. But mixed in among this gathering were Pharisees from Jerusalem who had come up to Galilee to confront him. That year, Jesus had not gone down to Jerusalem for Passover, probably because it had become very dangerous for him to do so. I mean, it was not yet God's appointed time for him to die. It seems their hostile presence influenced the tone of his words. The crowd had been pursuing him for the wrong reasons. They wanted more bread and a king. But from this verse on, the, through the end of his teaching in that synagogue, the dialogue becomes much more confrontational. He was again talking to a group of people that included religious leaders who openly rejected him. It would have been primarily to them that he said, but I said to you that you have both seen and do not believe. Notice that. He's been talking to this crowd and saying, you're talking to them, I'm the bread of heaven and all. And now there's this confrontational tone that says, you have both seen and you have not believed. It would have been primarily to them that he said, I said to you that you have both seen and do not believe. His words describe someone who's engaged in a deliberate, fully informed rejection of him, not someone who is ignorant or confused. You see the difference? 
Jesus does not take on uh, this kind of confrontational tone when he's talking with the ignorant or the confused. When you hear him get sharp like that, it's when he's going after religious leaders who, and and you'll, you'll notice, they heard him loud and clear, and they are bluntly rejecting what he says. He did not speak this way to the crowd that pursued him around the lake. He told them their problem was he didn't understand. He'd spoken this way to he had, but, but he had spoken this way when talking to religious leaders in Jerusalem. This is the tone he took when speaking to people who knew they were rejecting the truth. And oddly, it was these religious leaders who understood the spiritual meaning of what he was saying far better than even his own disciples. We'll soon see that they understood what he meant when he called himself the bread of heaven. I showed you that already. They understood what he meant when he claimed to be the son of God or the son of man. And they actually understood him to say he would rise from the dead after three days. Isn't that stunning? Mary Magdalene goes out on Sunday morning of the resurrection to wrap him again in, 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 in herbs. Because uh, it wasn't done properly by those old men. When she tells the disciples, I've seen him, they go, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. None of his disciples expected the resurrection at all. But the religious leaders... They go to Pilate and say, the man said he's coming back alive after three days. We heard him loud and clear. We need to appoint a guard over that place or they're going to steal the body and claim a resurrection. Little did they know, the disciples don't have a clue about a resurrection. But, do you, but isn't it interesting? The ones who would crucify him, these leaders, they got it. This was war. This wasn't ignorance. They came, had come to Galilee only to gather evidence which they could use against him in a religious trial. In front of the entire synagogue, Jesus announced why some people didn't believe in him. Basically, he said the reason they didn't love him was because they didn't love God. He said that those hearts, though all whose hearts truly belong to the Father, the Father had given as a gift to his Son. All which the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one coming to me, I will by no means throw outside. His statement about not throwing someone outside clearly refers to his future role as judge at the end of the age. It means he will not cast anyone who believes in him out of God's kingdom. He told the congregation that when he left heaven and came to earth, he came with a very specific assignment from the father. And he added that he was completely committed to fulfill that assignment. He said, His assignment was to find those who belong to the Father and then to do everything necessary to protect and nurture them so that every single one of them could be included among the righteous whom he would resurrect at the end of the age. The language he used to say this places a very strong emphasis on preserving the faith of every believer until each one receives his or her eternal reward. He said, and this is the will of the one having sent me, That of all that he has given me, I shall not lose any out of it, but shall raise it up in the last day. For this promise to be realized, someone must first behold him, understand the signs, perceive the truth, recognize his true mission and identity. And then once that revelation takes place, he or she must choose to believe, which means respond to faith, uh, by faith to that truth. Judging from the many statements he makes throughout the Gospels on this subject, by the word believe, he meant much more than just mentally agreeing to something a person knows to be true. 
by believe, he meant that a person would choose to enter into the life, the full life of a disciple. He never offered the possibility of a minimal level of commitment. It was always all or nothing. Have you noticed? I mean, you can say, I've already looked. I'll save you the trouble. There is no minimal standard. <laughs> There's no like, here's all you have to do. And beyond that, it's just for the, for the you know, the, the zealous. Uh, he, he, he says, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, he says, it just, it's, it's, it's either, either you, uh, you either love this world or you love, <laughs> or you love the world I'll offer you. Yet his words that day were, all, were also filled with assurance. They contained more than an explanation of why he had come to earth. Along with his call to believe, he included a promise to those who did believe, assuring them that they would not walk into the future alone. He would go with them all the way to the very judgment seat of God. He would not stop caring for every single one of them. Anyone who made a decision to follow him that day was likely to pay a harsh price. From that moment on, their future almost certainly would be marked by persecution and rejection. The prospect may have caused some to wonder if they had the strength to endure it. And to them, he made this promise. This is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up in the last day. In, the, in, in other words, yes, there will be a price to pay, but you'll never be sorry. I will be with you along the way and it will be worth it in the end. All right. Now we can understand what he was saying. Let's look at the father's gift. The father knows those who are his in every place, in every generation. Each one is precious to him. Some have been given a lot of light. Some have been given very little. But what sets them apart from those who are not his is that these have seen and responded to the light they were given. Let me tell you why I'm taking the time in, this, in here to, to develop this. Did you notice the passages that say, all who belong to the Father, the Father gives to me. You see that? Uh, the Father, uh, you couldn't have come to me except the Father draws. Did you see that? That is taken by, by people to say, aha, there it is. God says to certain people, I draw you to Christ and not others. So it's only the ones that God sort of picks. So they use it as a predestination basis. That God has sort of picked one. He says, you can come, and you can come. No, not you. No, not you. You can come, and you can come to him. They say, this is the glorious divine side of salvation, in which God is, you know, his mercy to some and not to others. And so you've got this, these passages, this whole section I couldn't find anybody who didn't go there. Uh, it's just rife in this passage. So they look at it and they say, well, see, those are the fathers. He gives to Jesus. And uh, it's only those who he draws that can come to him. So I want to explain to you what that means. All right? That's why we're doing this. What sets them apart from those who are not his is that these have seen and responded to the light they have been, were given. They're not sinless. No one is. In fact, they're painfully aware of their sin and long to be free from it. The difference between this group and, and others is that these listen when God speaks and are willing to see what he reveals. They respond in humility and faith when they understand. These are the ones the Father gives to Jesus. These are the ones the Father draws to him. These are the ones who have heard and learned from the Father. 
These are the ones to whom it has been given by the Father to believe in his Son. When the Lord comes to us, when he, I, I, would, I would say to you, I, I believe this deeply, that God wants every human on planet Earth saved. Do you believe that? Yes. Now, he doesn't just want that. I believe he is giving what light he can to every corner of this planet. There isn't anyone. No matter who you talk to, God will have been there some way first. I'm not saying they're saved. I'm saying they've been reached to. I've been saying that God has given some measure of of revelation. I say that and so does Paul. Uh, Remember what he says? He says, even the heavens declare the glory of God and, and, and show his thing. And he says, our conscience, our tender conscience tells us right from wrong. We have a sense of a moral fabric that there's a God there. We have a sense that there's a powerful being who's made us all. There's things that even from just those two sources, all humans know. But I would also even argue that the Holy Spirit has in his own way been present, reaching, and calling. Sometimes we don't know the names. We don't know the name of this God. We don't know who it is. But I believe that wherever there is a heart that yields, here's the point. Whatever amount of light you have, that's really all it needs to reveal the intent of your heart. Do you pull toward the light you have? Or do you pull away from the light you have? Whether it's a lot or little. That inclination is there. And this is John chapter 3. Those that, those that hate the light don't come to the light. Why? Not because they don't see it, but because they don't want God telling them to stop doing things they want. They don't want to be reproved, it says. It's, it's, it's a rebellion. It's a resistance. It's not ignorance. I don't think ever, anyone will ever uh, be, be judged by God for ignorance. I believe it's rebellion. And what does God do to those who respond toward whatever whatever light they have? Gives them more. Gives them more. Why? In him we live and move and have our being. And he is close to every one of us, says says Paul, doesn't he? He says that lest we reach out, groping, and find him. And find him. He says that to Athenians. To Greeks. With, with, which had 30,000 statues, according to, <laughs> to was it one, of the, one of the historians, ancient historians. 30,000 statues of God, just the, out in the public areas in, in Athens. And he says to them, in him we live and move and have our being. And he's close to every one of us, lest we reach out, groping, and find him. God is reaching people all over planet Earth. The ones who come to the light, the ones with a tender heart, the ones which will always mean willing to repent, willing to see their sin and long for mercy. Those are those who are the fathers. How did he prepare Israel for Jesus? He sent John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, Messiah is coming, and you are all so bad. <laughs> He's not going to recognize any of you. He'll have to raise up stones you know, for children. And, and he says, if you're going to have to repent. For the Lord is coming, and he's going to take his pitchfork, and he's going to winnow the wheat and, and if you're ready. And so they would come out by the thousands to the, to the Jordan River, and John would baptize them, and they would wash their sins away before God and call on him for mercy. What was he doing? That's the father preparing hearts to welcome his son. Amen. So when the son arrived with grace, Amen. the hearts that were full of consciousness of their sin, we go, oh, thank you. 
And it did work. I mean, there were, there, as you, you watch the book of Acts, the estimates are within like 10 years, you had 100,000 believers in, in, in Jerusalem. It's not like nothing happened. If taken out of context of all Jesus taught, these statements can be misunderstood to mean the Father will only allow certain people to believe in his Son. Or for some unexplained reason, prevents others. That false teaching makes the ministry of Jesus very confusing. He can be often be heard inviting people to come to him. But if, as some people falsely teach, the Father only allows certain ones to respond, then Jesus' invitation is a bit deceptive. He sounds like he wants everyone to come to him and believe in him, but according to that notion, he secretly doesn't. Those who teach this believe these verses mean they are, there are only a few God really wants to save, but thankfully we are not left to wonder. He told us, here are a few clarifying statements from the Gospel of John. Now I'm going to take you to the first one. I won't to all of those, but go with me to John chapter 1. In, in this opening prologue, John gives us the most beautiful overview of the principles of Jesus that he's going to explain in his gospel. And frankly, we're over and over again seeing these various principles at work. But look at this, start at verse 9. John 1, verse 9. Listen to the heart uh, that he's, t- he's, t- he's showing us. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens who? Say every man. That's a lot of them, isn't it? <laughs> every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So he's saying clearly Jesus is, is, the, is the creative agent through whom the Father made the worlds. And the world did not know him. So they, didn't re- they, did, they were confused and, most, and didn't recognize him. He came to his own, meaning, meaning Israel, but even Nazareth. And those who were his own did not receive him. They, they, they rejected him. But as many as received him. What did he just say? As many as received him. In other words, they they saw, they beheld who he was, and they responded in faith to what happened to them. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who what? Believe in his name. Do you hear the openness of this? Where is the decision being made? Is it God rejecting or is it us rejecting? Yeah. Our God is a saving God. He is a heavenly father who longs for all. He is not pushing anyone out. He's fighting to save us. Uh, John 3, you know it uh, so well. God so loved who? Say the world. That he gave his only begotten son that? Whosoever. That's a big word, isn't it? Whosoever does what? Believeth in him. Do you hear the open invitation? So when you see the fa- those the father draws, only they can come to me. It's, it, you, 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 you hold both of those. So this is this God who loves the world, that whosoever may come. And yet there are some who have soft hearts. There are some who have been walking with their God in integrity. And he knows every one of those. And, and so if I have opened up to him, then the father will take that veil aside and he will show me Jesus. Those who come to the Father, the Father draws to his Son. John 4, I'll just, just, just mention what these are. John 4, that's a Samaritan woman. He, he, here's this woman by the well, and he says to her, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, uh, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What would you have had to do? Ask him, and he would have 
given you living water. Uh, John 7, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. John 10, uh, he says, he's the good shepherd. And uh, those who know his voice follow him. Uh, John 12, 25, those who hate their life in this world when compared to eternal life. That's the ones who, who, come to the, who belong to the Father. John 12, 43, those who love the approval of men more than, uh, pardon me, the more, uh, approval of God more than the approval of men. That's who hears the voice of the Father. Luke records a statement Jesus made we shouldn't overlook. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Now, there you go. There is a drawing and a hiding. Who is it he hides it from, as it were? It is the proud, the mentally proud. I won't believe it till I understand it. Uh, this doesn't make sense. What do you mean? God sent his son. Uh, you, you, you go there and you'll, what happens? It, Jesus explains it in the parable. He says, to, to those that have shall more be given. To those that have not, even what they have shall be taken away. So there is a process. If I harden myself, I have less and less and less light. It's a very dangerous cycle to go into. If I respond to the truth I have, I am given more and more and more understanding of the truth of God. He is beautifully expressing a foundational truth we all know. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the process of selection is going on inside of us, not him. He wants all, but he knows all don't want him. Matthew records an answer Jesus gave when his disciples asked why he spoke to the crowd in parables. It gives us an even clearer answer. I want you to see that. That's an important statement, and I'll just read a bit of it. Matthew 13. Jesus has just given the parable of the sower, that beautiful parable. And then this statement is made. He, He closes that parable by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. And then he says what I just quoted. Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever has not, even what he has shall be taken away. And then he says, therefore I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes Isaiah, which means they've deafened their ears, they've blinded their spiritual eyes so they don't see what God wants to show them, and they've hardened their heart lest they repent, they they, be aware of their sin and have to repent. So what he says is, I'm dealing with people who are in a bad spiritual condition. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Why? Jesus knew he was speaking to many who refused to see, refused to hear, and had hardened their hearts. So he spoke to them in parables. If he confronted them with propositional truth, they would only resist and grow harder. Did you follow what I just said? If Jesus goes in there and just starts punching them with spiritual truth, These resistant people are going to go, no, and just harden themselves more. Because you see, we deafen our ears, we blind our eyes, and we harden our hearts. 
And so it would only make it worse. So rather than confront them with propositional truth, he tells them stories. So he clothes spiritual truth in stories in the hope of getting around their defenses. If a person had any integrity, they would go home and ponder what he said and the spirit could reveal to them his meaning. Did you follow this? This was a merciful, kind savior who's dealing with stubborn folks who've hardened themselves to the Lord and rather than make them worse, he's trying to reach them. So he tells stories that go around their defenses. They go home with a story about a sower who went out and sowed seed on, on four different kinds of soil and they'll ponder it. If there's any integrity at all in them, they'll go home and they'll think about it. You know, hmm, soil in the hard ground and on the stony ground and on the weedy ground and on the good ground. And in the thinking through that, in the processing through that, the Holy Spirit can say, and which are you? If you see it, this was a loving savior going around their defenses and trying to hit their heart. His meaning, oh, pardon me, what we're seeing at work is not Jesus rejecting hard-hearted people. We're seeing him tactically trying to reach those who refuse him. We're seeing a savior trying to reach everybody. Everywhere Jesus went, he watched for people who really loved God. Because if they loved God, they would also love him because he is just like his father. Very likely there had been some scattered among the crowd who ate the loaves and fish. And very likely there were some sitting in front of him that day in the synagogue. There may even have been some hungry hearts among the religious leaders who had come from Jerusalem. Not all were hard-hearted, and he knew it. Is that right? Some of those Pharisees, some of those religious leaders from Jerusalem, do you mean to tell me some of them were actually light seekers? Name one. Nicodemus. Exactly. He'd already had a rooftop conversation with one of the top ones. And there's others we know. Joseph of Arimathea is one. In fact, as we go on in the Gospel of John, you'll see situations where they send officers to arrest Jesus, religious officers. And they come back and he says, well, where is he? And he said, no man ever spoke like this man. They go, you've been taken in too. Remember that? Yeah, it's just coming up in the Gospel of John. I mean, these poor religious priests are having a terrible time keeping, their, keeping control of things. Because anyone who has a soft heart and watches this begins to say, he's from God. He's from God. And by the way, the book of Acts just tells us, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that as, as after the crucifixion and resurrection, and, and after, frankly, they watched someone they all knew, which was Lazarus, rise from the dead. You know there was lots of these religious leaders at that moment. This was a very prominent family. And they were there at this wake, the funeral. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in front of their eyes, and he comes out with the wrappings on. It really caused a problem. In fact... The high priest says, we need to kill him now or the whole world will follow him. Hallelujah. (laughs) This is a hard person to stop. Praise God. Not all were hard-hearted and he knew it. So even in in that synagogue where he was forced to confront opponents, he still invited those who were hungry and thirsty to believe in him. 
And as he did, he made a promise to each one. He said that after they came to him, he would care for them and guard them until the day they didn't need it anymore. He wasn't just asking them to commit themselves to him. He was committing himself to them. Did you hear that? If they would come to him, they would not walk into a dangerous future alone. He would go with them. A shepherd's heart. Later in this gospel, Jesus will introduce himself as the good shepherd. But we already hear that shepherd's heart in in the words he spoke that day. Verse 37, I'm just going back through that passage. He He said, all who belonged to the Father would come to him. Verse 37 again. He said he would not reject anyone who came to him. Did you hear that? I mean, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done, said, thought. He says, anybody who comes to me in faith, I will not reject. That's a lovely statement. Verse 38, he said, saving people was his assignment from the Father. Verse 39, he said, the Father instructed him not to lose one of those he gave to him. Listen to that. Do you hear that? Father says, I'm going to give you my people. They're going to believe in you and love you. And he says, and don't you lose one of them. Don't you lose one. That's his assignment from the father. But that he was to watch over each one until he resurrected them into eternal life. Listen to how he said this as the good shepherd. Why don't you read this with me? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nobody can take you out of my hand, and the Father has got you in his hand. No one can take you out of the Father's hand. Listen to this parable about about sheep. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost how many? One of them does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Matthew records that he then said this. So it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones. And in that case, he was talking about children perish. Not only does Jesus invite us to start a walk with him, he commits himself to see that we end that walk well. He is determined to provide everything we need to stay in God's family forever. He pursues the lost. He protects the young. He restores the fallen. He rescues the wayward. He feeds the hungry. He heals the wounded. He strengthens the weak. He defends the vulnerable. Paul says he's constantly at the Father's right hand interceding for us so that our sins cannot condemn us. He says there is no power on the other side of the grave or even in hell itself that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our assignment. Jesus promised those listening to him in the synagogue that day that he would guard all who came to him in faith, every single one of them. But later he said to those who followed him, as the father has sent me, I also send you. He never planned to care for his flock alone. He always intended to include us. He told Peter that if he loved him, he would what? 
shepherd my sheep. And he would say to the same to us. That was not just a call as a pastor or something, as some kind of office. When you, if you and I love Jesus, we will care for his people. It's just as simple as that. You, you cannot separate the two. If you love him, you love his people. You care about them. There's just a, a shepherd's heart that gets put in you because the shepherd's in you. And he loves his people. And so he uses us. I mean, what, what I was doing when with taking, you know, and kids in and taking them to church and getting them a Bible and sniffing their breath and the whole bit was, was, had to do with, I just thought it was being a Christian. I wasn't trying to do anything. This is what you did, isn't it? If you brought them to the Lord, you needed to see they grew. See, that's just the heart of the Lord. It's just, it's just a part of it. If you, if you love me, he says, shepherd my sheep. And he would say the same to us. Yes, he provides so much care directly by, this, by his spirit. But he also wants to care for his lambs through his people, you and me. Through us, he wants to pursue the lost, protect the young, restore the fallen, rescue the wayward, feed the hungry, heal the wounded, strengthen the weak, and defend the vulnerable. Why? Because he's fulfilling his assignment through us. Our assignment is to help him do his assignment. Read that out loud, would you? Our assignment is to help him do his assignment. Let's hear that assignment once more. Why don't you read this with me? This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. I have one more illustration that I want to just give to you. This, I think this was about three years ago. Might have been four. I, I don't know. Time goes by. Mary and I got a phone call out of the blue uh, from a, a, a young lady, young compared to me. Uh, she'd actually been in my youth group uh, way back at the little Presbyterian church. This had been like 1972 to 1975, something like that, 78. And um, she called up and she said, uh, hi, do you remember me? And of course we did. And she said, uh, she said, of course, you remember my, my brother. I won't use names. And, um, and, and she said, he's uh, nearby where you are. And uh, he, she mentioned one of the towns in our area here. And she said, he's in the hospital and he's dying of lung cancer. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm just, I can't believe it. This, is, this young man was, uh, my, my whole memory is I, he was one of the smartest people you've, you've ever met, you know, and, and, and gutsy. He, he was not only smart, but he had, he had courage. Uh, he's kind of blonde, tousled, curly hair. Uh, his parents, I think, were both teachers in the local college. I mean, he was one of those, you know. And, uh, and I'd lost track of him after we left uh, that church, uh, some of the guys kept in touch with him. I, I well, he told me this later. He had, um, he'd, he'd kind of wandered all over doing all kinds of things. Ended up at one point hitchhiking across uh, Africa uh, and, and other, other continents. I mean, it's like, whoa. Um, and then he ended up a stockbroker in New York. Uh, what? <laughs> what? I mean, that's what, those are hardly two, you know. Um, and did well at <laughs> it. 
ended up marrying a woman, who, uh, 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 or shall I say living with her, out of, out of uh, her, not a Christian, and living basically a, a worldly life. And here he was now, dying of lung cancer, never smoked, dying of lung cancer in a hospital nearby. And she said, would you go see him? And I said, oh, absolutely. Where is he? What, 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 what room? And so Mary and I immediately went over. And, and, and to walk in that hospital room, you know, and there he is. And he's just, of course, lung cancer does quite a thing to you. And, and he couldn't talk. He had very little voice. And he's very thin. But it's him. It's still my youth. And I'm looking at him, and we chatted a little bit, but there's not you can't talk too much. And um, I said, well, you know why I'm here. And he, I said, uh, I need, would you let me talk to you about spiritual things? He said, yes. And I said, uh, I understand you've, you've walked away from the Lord. And, and, and he said, well, no. But I, I said, but you've been, you've given into the flesh, haven't you? And you've not served him. Yes, that's right. And I said, tell me this, it's important to me. Did you ever renounce Jesus? He said, oh no, I never did. I said, so you've always believed in him. Yes. You just let your flesh rule you, didn't you? Yes, I did. Do you repent of that? Do you want to confess him again? I do. And so we led him, prayed again, and confessed Jesus with all our hearts and gave back. This is a young man who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is a young man who, who, who knew the Lord. We confessed him again. We prayed, of course, our hearts out for his healing. We went several times. He was moved to his parents' home um, and and we, we prayed several times, but he did pass away. He did go on uh, with the Lord. The shepherd would not let him die without sending someone from the family to let him pray again, to let him reaffirm his faith, to let him be right. If it hadn't been Mary and me, it would have been someone else. I want you to see this. The Lord will pursue you to the last breath in your body. He had spent decades living in the world. It, he, had, he had no excuse for what he did. He knew perfectly well what he did. But in his heart, he still knew Jesus was the Savior. And he sent us to get his lamb before he passed. And so I can hardly wait to see him again. He's a lot of fun. You'll like meeting him. Bright, full of crazy energy. And he'll be there. Because the shepherd says, I won't lose one. In response to that great promise, let's join Paul in declaring our faith. Would you read this with me? For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him again that day. What is it you've entrusted to him? Your soul. You've entrusted you to him. 
You've entrusted your eternal life. We are never alone, the shepherd promised. Would you stand with me? Two things I think we can respond to. One is, has the Lord given you responsibility, as it were? It's, it's a love. It's, there's a pastoral bond. I still hear from my youth group. I mean, I think of them as kids. <laughs> you wouldn't. But I do. I mean, there's still... I still will hear from them. I will... I, I, I still love them. I, I'm headed, where Mary and I are headed back to our 45th reunion at college. And so many of those were in our dorm room somewhere in a, in a, in a, in a, come, coming to the Lord, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and all of those. They're still family. I, we were on a phone to one of them who's now the pastor of a church in the thousands. And they've gone through quite a crisis situation and God's grace to them. But they want to talk to us. And he's also got a health issue. Wants some prayer. Isn't it funny? He, he, he puts people in our lives. And it's not short term. They're, they're long term. We, 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 we're, we're connected to people. That's how Jesus designed it. He says, if you come to me, I commit this to you. I will guard over you until the day I raise you from the dead. I will watch over you. I won't lose track of you. If you wander and I have 99, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. I'll find you in the mountains and I'll bring you back. It says, and one, he puts the lamb on his shoulders and carries it back. He says, I'll do that for you. Because he's talking to people who may die for this, may get thrown out of their families, may get divorced. Who knows what's going to happen if they say, I believe in you. He says, and I commit to you. If you do give your heart to me, I'll be with you till the day I raise you from the dead. He says that to us today. And he uses us in the process to fulfill that promise to others. You're involved. I'm involved. People are in our lives. Amen. Lord God, we love you. You are a loving father. And you are, are a great shepherd. And you have sent your beloved son for us. We confess you, Jesus. We behold you. We know who you are. You're the, you're the son of God. You came from heaven to earth and became a man. You perished on the cross, suffering the, the wrath of God for our sin. You bore it all that we might be forgiven and loved forever. We believe that. We confess that. We rejoice in that. And Lord, we hear you loud and clear that you are committed to us. You don't just listen to us make a promise, but you enter our life and lay hold of us, and you won't let us go to the last breath in our bodies. We are so comforted by that, so grateful for it. Lord, thank you for your commitment, and then we offer ourselves, Lord, as you need us, however you would use us, to nurture the faith of others, protect others, uh, even confront others, pray for others, draw us in, Lord, that we would be part of your great ministry. We believe for that and ask for that in Jesus' name. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. 
There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written. 